Hello and welcome to the Church Music Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Harmon. Today's episode is sponsored by HarmonyMusicEducation.com. Harmony Music Education offers online and in-person piano, voice, trumpet, and beginning guitar lessons, along with other musical education opportunities. One of those is an online music camp. For children that are going into kindergarten through eighth grade, the kindergarten through third graders will be split up into one time, um, alternating between Carnival of the Animals and Peter and the Wolf. We're going to explore the story told by music. And then for the fourth through eighth graders, it is going through some different composers, learning about the story behind the music. So go over to HarmonyMusicEducation.com slash summer dash camps and you can find out more information it's linked in the show notes on today's episode i have the opportunity to continue a conversation that i started in february with nikki Lerner. but the treat today is that her husband david joins in as well it's an opportunity to talk about race an opportunity to talk about struggles of an interracial couple challenges that they face But more than that, it's continuing to talk about how do we love each other and love each other well. So I hope you enjoy. Without any further ado, here's Nikki and David. Well, it is great to have Nikki Lerner back on. Nikki and I talked back in February, but we get an extra special treat today. This is something that is a rarity among rarities. We have her husband, David, joining us as well. Welcome, Nikki and David. Thanks How's for having us. That is, it's great to have you both on. So, Nikki, we talked back in February uh, before the world went crazy <laughs> in so many ways, right? Uh, I mean, just not only with the coronavirus and the pandemic and everything else, um, but also, you know, what we talked about of just talking about how do we love one another well? How do we care for one another and, and over the past month, really, we've seen that just be amplified even more. So I thought it was really important to have you on and as well as having David on as part of this con- conversation as well, that we can really discuss what this looks like and what your experiences have been. Um, because if you're just listening and not watching, um, Nikki's black and David's white. And so <laughs> that, that brings challenges in and of itself, which we'll dive into, I know. <laughs> it's a good life. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't doubt that for a second. But let's, let's, let's start off just, you know, Nikki, you and I talked about your podcast, Culture Coach, and just the, the conversations you've been bringing up and the conversations you've been having in that. And I think, you know, what we talked about back in February was talking about how you know, for those of us like me who are white, how do we care for and love one another well? What have you seen going on as that conversation has been amplified over the last month? Have you seen positives, negatives, somewhere in between? What have you seen? A great question. Uh, yeah, I feel like I've seen um, the best and the worst um, of uh, people just mm-hmm. in general um, let me talk about the best um, what I have seen more than anything um, is uh, gosh I've never seen so many non-black people run to buy books and watch movies and learn mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing that is amazing to me um, I think somebody I saw a picture somewhere and somebody had posted of like I don't know, the top like 15 books on the New York Times bestsellers like in the last couple of weeks. They mm-hmm. are all books about um, African-American history or um, how to squash racism or how to look at yeah. yourself. And that is just phenomenal to me. That's huge. Um, I mean, that's beautiful. I've never seen such a diverse group of people protesting together. Mm-hmm. Um, that's new. Uh, I think the global nature and response, particularly of protest and people talking about it, I mean, I've never seen anything like it, Craig. 
Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And as a black person in America, um, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. Um, it's a little odd. I'm, I'm going to keep it real. It's it's a little like Twilight <laughs> Zone. Like, sure. what is because you know, I try to tell people, you know, non-white people talk about race all the time. Well, ethnicity, right? We, yeah, we talk yeah. about our ethnicity and culture like all the time. And most of the time, it's not negative. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. So we're always having this conversation amongst one one another. So that's why it's a little strange now that it's it's almost like, <laughs> you know, your, your cousin was listening in the dining room while you were having this conversation, you know, like with yeah. your parents. And now they have something to say. And it's yeah. like, whoa. I mean, it's just odd. Um, but But it's it's beautiful it feels supportive mm-hmm. um i've been so encouraged by uh our friends that have even our friends who maybe have said i literally did not see this until now yeah. um but but stepping on the journey to learn i think those are some of the best things that i've seen um and there's a long list of that like there's a lot of beauty that has come out of this awful tragedy absolutely um, I think some of the worst things, I mean, the, the list is relatively long. Um, mm-hmm. However, I think probably the hardest thing to watch uh, is to watch people uh, just uh, not tap into their empathetic, compassionate side. Yeah. Um, for me anyway, and maybe maybe David might have a different answer, but for me, that is probably the hardest and I would say the worst thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, in, in my estimation, it feels like people are practicing their way out of humanity. You know, I think to react and to respond with a, oh my gosh, like that's awful, is human. And absolutely, people I feel like are practicing um to they're, they're practicing themselves out of that mm-hmm. human interaction um when it comes to compassion and i don't think uh, people really understand the i the idea of collective culture mm-hmm. you know many non-white uh american cultures in the country are collective which means you know yeah. i didn't i didn't know the people that perished and I didn't know any of those people. However, when things happen in the community, we mm-hmm. all feel it at some level. And so Absolutely. Um, with white American culture, generally being a bit more individualistic, I think mm-hmm. there's a big miss on understanding there of like, why, why is it such a big deal? You know, sort of a thing. Because we are collective and, and we yeah. don't feel it. So, so yeah, I think uh, that's probably probably some of the some of the worst things. Mm-hmm. Probably have a different list, David. Um, it's a similar list. Uh, I just I see it a little differently. Um, but it, it's yeah, it's the worst part for me personally has been just dealing with people on social media. Mm-hmm. Yes. Just seem to have. Um, Free, yeah, just carte blanche to say whatever they want to and to completely miss out on recognizing the humanity of people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just focus on whatever particular issue that's part of the situation that they want to focus on, whether it's you know, something political about it, they want to make, yeah, there's the but what about isms and everything. And I'm, it just, yeah. yeah, it gets tiring. <laughs> No, absolutely. To, to combat that all the time, and that's that's something that I I suppose it's always been there. I just hadn't felt the weight of that before. Mm-hmm. I was able to deal with it um, before without getting too just fed up with it, really. Right. <laughs> For whatever reason, um, yeah, I feel like I have a shorter fuse with people. Um, with people who don't yeah yeah no, that makes sense and they don't seem to want to understand as much mm-hmm. as they want to just volley back and forth and debate about the issue 
Right, right. As opposed to focusing on just the humanity of people who are involved in all of this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've faced that too. I mean, I, I've got friends that I've seen post, you know, well, yes, all lives matter. Okay, yes, this is true, but, <laughs> you know, it's, it's the fact that we're created in the image of God. We are all created uniquely. And yes, we do look different. But I found, I guess it was a couple days ago, I found a, a cartoon that said, you know, when somebody says breast cancer matters, you don't see somebody else saying, but, but what about colon cancer? It matters too. We're all cancer matters. You know, we don't, we don't do that. And so you can, you can draw attention to one without negating the other, you know, and, no, and also sort of like, you know, me showing up to a funeral, mm -hmm. right. And, you know, say you lost somebody in your family yeah. and I show up to the viewing and I'm like, you know, I could take two approaches. I could take an approach where it says, well, Craig, you know, well, you know, my mother died 20 years ago. And so mm -hmm. I would like someone to acknowledge that. Like in this exactly, movie, exactly. I might approach you and say, you know, if you lost someone in your family, and I show up to the viewing while you're in grief, and I ask you, Craig, um, so did your did your family member did, did they smoke? What well, you know? Did they overeat? Mm -hmm. What well, did they take care of? Them? Did they meditate? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, then serve them right. Yeah. I mean, literally, that that is the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're uh, having this conversation. <laughs> no, exactly. Well, and I think it, it, it really comes down to j almost feeling like we're justifying ourselves, you know, for yeah. for at least for those people who are who are feeling that. And I don't I don't understand it, you know. And then the other conversation I've had on social media with with my Christian friends is, you know, well, but the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm like, this is not about that movement. That is something. Yes, okay, that's a separate conversation. I have lots of issues with that movement. Sure. But to say, yes, this matters, you know, that's the thing. That's the important part. And, and you know, I mean, for me, the thing that I look at and, and I look back at my musical education that I've really been spending the past few weeks looking at, I didn't know outside of, you know, spirituals here and there, I didn't know black composers. And so I set out to look for who's out there in organ music, in handbell music, in choral music. Choral music, I knew there was some, but organ music, I was floored at what beautiful creations I found. And I was mad, honestly, because be. it was like, why didn't I know about this earlier? Yes. You know, why I, I've been playing the organ for 28 years. Why did I not have this as a resource earlier? You know, yeah, and you, so, so I think that's that's yeah. something that we have to highlight and bring out that, you know, there are people of color that are creating beautiful things, and yet we're not recognizing that. And and honestly, I mean, there are many things in what you just said mm -hmm. that are pertinent to the conversation that we're currently having. Yeah. So the first thing is. Is, it, it can oftentimes be very challenging for majority culture folks, and in this case, in our country, white yeah. Americans, to see the world um, as being set up from a cultural lens, because mm -hmm. white American culture gets to be called normal. Right. Right? And so if yeah. you're normal, that means you're not an ethnicity. <laughs> And it yeah. means they don't have a culture. However, non-white people in, in America and everywhere else certainly understand that white Americans are an ethnic group and they <laughs> have a culture, which is the culture that we live in because we have to. Right. So it makes sense then, so from a choral music perspective, right? Mm -hmm. That oh, yeah. when you do an entire um, catalog from you know, uh, whatever the composers are, you don't have to call that concert an, an evening of white composers. Right. I mean, think about it, that's literally... No, absolutely. <laughs> no, yeah. You know, no, absolutely. Yeah, I did a, a, a podcast with a, one of my um, uh, my musical mentors, or my choir director from college, mm -hmm. 
And he says, such a great quote. He says, uh, we'll know we've made it when I can program an entire evening concert of African-American composers and not call it an evening of African-American composers. Um, and even in the musical world, Craig, uh, in, in the college world, in, you know, kind of legit music, if you will, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, there is this, this thing that, you know, the only non-white or European music that we talk about are spirituals. Mm-hmm, right. To slavery, which means, if you think about this for a minute, that that, that is the only source um, of non-white or European music in our colleges to say, yeah. hey, look, at there's another culture group and it's all slave songs. So you think about what that does, not only to oh, yeah. the psyche of non-white non students at college, but also what that perpetuates exactly. in dominant culture students, that like mm -hmm. you said, there is an, a breadth of creativity and composition Oh yeah. And current composition from oh, yeah. non-majority composers, both African American, Asian American, it, you know, mm -hmm. there's so oh, yeah. much richness out there that we're missing. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I I wrote about it earlier this week that um, the the song Waymaker was written by a Nigerian woman. Mm -hmm. How many people really know that? Not many, because you hear the recording by Leland and you think he wrote it. Or you hear it by Michael W. Smith and you think he wrote it. No, they didn't, you know. And and so it's things like that where it's like that is such a huge opportunity that we could say, hey, look at this, this amazing song that has connected with so many people over the past few months. This was written by an African woman. That's huge. Yeah, and but yet and it's out, crickets. If you've heard if you've heard the one of the, some mm -hmm. of the versions of this song that were done in a more uh, gospel flavor, right? But think about that. Um, CCM, which again is code for white rock music. <laughs> yes. Uh, CCM uh, artists found that song, thought, "Oh, this is a great song." Took it mm -hmm. and changed all of the original. So that it could fit their context. Yep. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. I mean, we would say that for anybody, right? Like, sure. Song, use it, whatever. However, um, I mean, I've been in rooms with people. I could tell you their names, and you would be like, <gasps> you know. And they've said we can't play black gospel music because it's complicated. <laughs> and so, you know, my my response is. So, are you going to learn it? Right. Right? <laughs> yeah. The thing of, you know, when you're part of the majority culture, mm -hmm. you don't have to learn it. I mean, think about how powerful it would be if whoever, you know, those artists, CCM artists were that grabbed this song mm. could see the opportunity and then bring in some different types of musicians right. to authenticate um, the sound of that song, but instead it was sort of um, uh, stripped from its original intention, mm -hmm. right? In order yep. to make it easier for, you know, John Smith in Iowa who plays the acoustic guitar. Mm -hmm. Because that decision is, is about the industry making money. Well, that's exactly it. And and in the post I talked about, and I, I tried to not get on my soapbox, and I'm going to try my best here not to either. But, you know, I mean, we've got even, we've got segregation even in Christian music, right? You have the CCM world, you have the gospel world. There's, I mean, it's just crazy. Because really, it's white and black. I mean, essentially, that's what it comes down to. And I don't understand it. I mean, sure, you might have you might have Kirk Franklin come in and do something on a song on the CCM world, you know, or maybe Yolanda Adams or something like that, but not to the extent where you could yeah, have yeah. this back and forth, this Even give and take. They have to; those artists have to be verified by a white mm -hmm. artist, right? You know, so it's not yeah. like um, there is equal footing, or I mean, 
it's like okay well it's Kirk Franklin and you know Chris Tomlin so exactly it must be safe yeah um, because they're together and Chris has said this guy's okay um, yeah you know, it's part of the musical conversation where I'm like well at least black gospel music tells you exactly what it is it's black gospel <laughs> right <laughs> right i mean the the music industry is so ridiculously segregated so think about as a as a worship leader mm -hmm. as a worship pastor you have to realize that when you go try to pick you know uh pick sets for your songs and what your church needs to sing and you use terms like relevant mm -hmm. and then you go look for music you have to know that what's going to be fed to you is white American yeah. and you have to go look for the things that aren't that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and it's and it, it frustrates me to no end, so this is where I'm going to get off my soapbox for a second, uh, <laughs> but it frustrates me because, you know, again, like I said before, we are all created in the image of God. If that is what we truly believe, then this should not be a place of separation. This can be a great opportunity to teach the world. Here, we believe in God. We believe that God is creative and creates us in unique ways, yet here we are, we're separated. And it just doesn't make sense to me. And I, I, I understand the reason why, because it's really all about money. It's about marketing. It's about that whole thing. But it's so frustrating because it really just shows what the problem is. And the problem is us when it really comes down to it. And so, you know, like you were saying before, I think the, the opportunities that people have intentionally taken in this past month or so to really educate themselves. I think even, you know, having Amazon Prime had a bunch of movies like Just Mercy and, and things like that that were free to rent. You know, that here, here are our tools, here are our resources. You know, and I think we've been getting to this point for a while I feel like that, you know, every time, sadly, every time something like this happens, the conversation increases. We get more and more conversation, but then we go back to normal and we get distracted and now it's gone. And this feels different a little bit. And so my bigger concern as we're moving forward is we're, okay, now it's been a month. We get bored. We move on to something else. How does this conversation continue? So what do you guys think? How, how can we, moving forward, as, as people start to get bored and back into routine or on to the next thing, how do we keep this conversation going? Um, okay. All right, you got it. Well, I have, I have a thought. Um, remember when I said earlier that, you know, non-white people, we talk about race all the time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what's, what's currently happening and has been happening for years is collectively as a country, we only have these conversations when something awful happens. And so that is a, um, that's a dangerous practice to continue. Mm -hmm. um, because the, I believe that part of the reason that they're so intense when, when things happen is that non-white people are trying to have this conversation all the time. Mm -hmm. And usually, this is general, but usually are sort of met with, yeah, that's nice. Um, I know even in my work, you know, I mean, I, I'm a culture coach. I help organizations and individuals move towards multicultural work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And usually it's like, okay, yeah, we'll start that next year. Um, and just this idea of it's not important enough um, leads us to these practices of well let's let's wait until something awful happens. But we but the thing is we don't have to. Right. Um, we don't have to wait until the next shooting, and there will mm. be another. By the way, there will be unfortunately, another, and there yeah. will be more after that um, yeah. until we actually address what the actual problem is. Mm -hmm. um, but. The thing is, is that we need to be having um, conversations about ethnicity, culture, come from more frequently. And they need to be um, in spaces where we can learn 
and we don't just have to react immediately. Because it's not good for our brains and it's certainly not good for relationship. And I think that's actually the thing that will help us stay engaged um, mm -hmm. when it becomes just a normal part of how we speak, you know, a normal part of how we engage um, cross-culturally. So, some of the, the cultural code, if you will, is that, you know, most white Americans, uh, they either come from a family of people who were staunch racists, mm -hmm. or they come from a family who really worked to be colorblind, right? To say, yeah. you know, we're certainly going to see people as people, which is beautiful. Okay? Mm -hmm. But then what happens is both of those extremes, you end up not talking about race at all. Right. right. So, so people yeah. that come from a racist background, if they're trying to distance themselves from that, they don't want to even talk about it because mm -hmm. it's so painful to go sure. back to that space. So, if you take a culture group like white Americans who um, who don't talk about race, mm -hmm. but then everybody else who does talk about race, this is usually where we have where we can have our mix. Right. Um, I don't know. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. The thing that I was thinking about is, though I don't necessarily have an answer for it, is that for white folks who, for whatever reason, you know, the light bulb has gone off and they mm -hmm. are um, recognizing what's going on for the first time, the issue is going to be stamina. Um, there was yeah. a, a cartoon on Facebook where, you know, you've got like this part of the mountain and, you know, people have been climbing it and they're like, okay, this is to get to the point of recognizing that this is an issue. Mm -hmm. but then they're facing the mountain. Right. And yeah. being like, okay, and there's where we have to go for the process of actually making a change to make things mm -hmm. better. And so because, you know, the news cycle refreshes so often and we get distracted by things, white folks haven't had to really keep thinking about it, um, keep yeah. pressing in to making changes and stuff like that. So we're just going to kind of, we can't train for the marathon. The marathon's already started. Mm -hmm. We just have mm -hmm. to go and just find the strength as as the journey progresses to continue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, let's lighten the mood a little bit. I know we talked yeah. about some heavy stuff, <laughs> um, but let's let talk a little bit about your you guys and your relationship. How how did you two meet? How did how, how did this all come together for you guys? <laughs> Pardon me. We oh, okay. um, so we met through a mutual friend. Um, a mutual friend Tracy and I went to the same church. Um, a tiny church, like 30 people, mm -hmm. um, and Tracy knew Nikki just in other circles. Uh, Tracy was a singer, I played the drums, so we were both involved in the worship ministry of the mm -hmm. church. And so Tracy invited Nikki to come one Sunday and just be a guest um, and sing with us. So that was how we originally met, and because the church was really tiny, um, and it was, it was John, the black guy, and you know the rest of us were white. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I knew that not just because it was. Yeah. So it was it, it be kind of insulated, um, and people mm -hmm. were used to each other. So I knew that Miss that Nikki might not necessarily get the hey, how you doing? So glad you're right, here. Right. Right. Everybody in the room. <laughs> so I just kind of introduced myself and just wanted to make her feel comfortable. Um, and so just over time, every once in a while, our circles of friends would kind of intertwine yeah. into each other. And there came a point where Tracy and Nikki and had this group that had started the Bible study. Um, and most of them were musicians, uh, singers for the most part. And a friend of theirs invited them to come to a concert at their church. They weren't a band, they were a Bible study. But they said yes. Um, so then they were like, okay, well, I guess we have to put the rest of the band together if we're going to do this concert. <laughs> so Tracy was like, oh, well, I'll ask David if he wants to, to join in and be a part yeah. of it. So I started going. It was meeting weekly and all that. And that's when we started, like, 
consistently hanging out and blossom mm-hmm. from there. Yeah. Yeah, That's we were cool. <laughs> we were hanging out and then uh, one night we were hanging out and I kissed him. I didn't plan on it, but it happened. Um, and then we started dating the next day. There you uh, go. We started dating the next day. Um, and then within like a couple of weeks, uh, David proposed. Wow, that was quick. <laughs> I know, it was very fast. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so we uh, we just had our 21st wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Uh, a that's fantastic so what are some of the struggles that the two of you have faced in your marriage whether I mean in regard to I mean that is a loaded question and so that's why I was was gonna clarify in regard in regard to race in regard to culture uh, you know what what are some of the things obviously you know being interracial what 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 are some of the struggles that you guys have had well you know what's interesting is we have felt very fortunate that um, we have not experienced many of the challenges that couples like us often do. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were concerned when we were uh, dating that members of our family uh, in different parts of our family would not kind of take kindly to it. But honestly, I mean, it's been, it's been really good other than like, you know, a cousin or two here or there uh, that that's happened. But um, oddly enough, I think, some of the things were, at least I'm becoming aware of, has sort of risen to the surface during this time. Really? For me. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's wow. strange, Greg. Um, because, so a couple of things that I'm learning anyway is that, mm-hmm. you know, when something things like this happen in the country, although, you know, we, we're not sitting around talking about race issues all the time. You know, like sure. we're not like on the couch on Monday nights, you know, like... <laughs> always having serious conversations about right, it. Right, right. Like, never talk about it, right? Sure. But when this happens, like, we process it very differently. Of course. Because we have to, because of the nature of who we are individually, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So we process that differently. So, so that's interesting. Um, I bet. To just navigate knowing that, you know, he he won't understand at the deepest level what that feels like for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, yeah. I won't understand fully what he needs to do as a white person to right. feel engaged. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I won't know what that is. Right, um, right. So, so that's been interesting. Um, and we've, uh, we've, I've had to navigate a couple of family things um, recently hmm. uh, with uh, a member uh, of of my 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 in law family, mm. um, and so that's new. Um, again, given our our times, you know, it it finds its way into you know family dynamics and how people yeah. think about things, and um, so that has actually taken some navigating that we I don't think we've had to deal with really mm. prior to what we're facing in the country right now. Um, wow. But but there, you know. Interracial couples in general, most of their issues around race have nothing to do with the two of them. It's other people. Yeah. I'm like, sure. like outside, like going to a restaurant and have somebody, you know, look at you sideways or, you know, trying to find a church and everything is segregated mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. you know, having to navigate how do you parent a biracial child? Uh, you know, uh, yeah. comments people make about, things you know most most of the issues are outward they're not with the couple themselves I bet. it's kind of sad Maybe absolutely yeah i mean we're just oh, yeah. people you know we're just people like everybody else um so you know we, we know a friend who when she married her husband her family wouldn't let him come into the house wow yeah oh she's white gosh. he's black and like they were like mm. no i'm sorry he can't come into the house you know, we have never experienced anything like that. Mm. Um, yeah. But that happens all the time. Um, yeah. with so that's been our experience. Anyway. Yeah, that's, I mean, that I, I can understand. And I, I kind of figured that would be the case is that it's not really you guys as much as it is the outside and the, and the external mm-hmm. viewpoint. I mean, that, 
And that's that's the hardest part is that you know we can only control ourselves. We can't control how other people interact and respond to us. And, and no matter no matter who we are, um, and that that that's really really difficult. Um, so yeah, I think you know for us as as we continue this conversation, I think it's really a matter of as you said before, really it's it's staying intentional, and I think. It, it, it comes back to, for those of us like me who aren't black, <laughs> trying to really keep that focus on why this needs to be discussed. Um, a couple weeks ago, I shared on my personal Facebook page that, you know, hey, if you weren't paying attention to the organ preludes on Sunday, I played all of these by African-American composers. I had a comment that that was political and I and, I, and you liked it too <laughs> you liked some of the response not that comment but yeah. you know but but my response was that my choices of music are not political and really it was and, and it was not I mean because this has been something that's been growing in me for a while um, and, and I know that but I realized in this this was what put me over the edge of I don't know black composers of organ music and I need to that is a blind spot for me so I need to fix that so that's what my focus is for this summer so I am primarily doing that my whole point in making the post was not to say hey look at me it was hey if you are listening and you are there this is what I'm doing because most people most people don't listen they don't pay attention and that's okay I'm not offended by that but if you choose to listen here's why and also, I'm friends with a lot of church musicians on Facebook to say, hey, this is what I'm doing. I encourage you to do the same. Yeah. And everybody else outside of that one comment was positive and encouraging, which that's great. I mean, that that's again, that's not the reason why I did it. It's not the reason why I posted it. But I think for me and for other people like me, that's the thing that we need to do to keep engaged, is to keep learning, to keep growing, to keep researching, to look... And it's hard because we're looking outside of our comfort zone. That's right. Right? And when we get out of our comfort zone, it's uncomfortable. That's yeah. just the nature of it, right? Well, but, so let, let me encourage you, Craig. Yeah, yeah. And a couple things about what you did. So you're right. The intentionality behind to say, here are the people that created this beautiful thing that you heard, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You have to say that, particularly if you are in a mostly white environment. Mm -hmm. You have to say that um, because not only are you learning yourself, but but once you learn something lovely, you want to share it. Oh, absolutely. Right? And you want to share it and give context mm -hmm. with the other people. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that people around you, whether in your church or in your sphere, who see you doing that. Like I think white Americans need to know that non-white Americans have very low standards for um, you know, assuming that their culture will be heard right. somewhere. And so when you do something like that, it is it speaks to people like me mm -hmm. to say, oh, wow, like, okay, okay. You know, somebody yeah. went out of their way um, to go look for a composer from a different culture and, and mm -hmm. honor them and highlight. So that that's a cue for people that it's safe to be in your presence. Yeah. Uh, and the third thing is, and I think this is what I was trying to uh, communicate with your friend on that post, yes. um, was that, you know, there are many people that have the luxury of calling what we're experiencing political. Mm -hmm. um, when, when you are part of the, quote, normal population, you can name everything you see as political. Mm -hmm. For the rest of us, it's a personal issue. Right. And my point has been, my God, like, we would love for this to be political. I mean, yes, please, let's, let's let this, I, I wish this would all turn out. This week, we find a news report that said, studies show that everything we're experiencing is a political issue. Because you know right. why? Because it, that's easier to figure out. Oh, yeah. Like, that's actually easier to fix. That's an easier conversation to have mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like yeah. I would rather talk about how all of this is theoretical and political that would be awesome 
Because yeah. then I wouldn't have to worry about leaving my house and getting shot. Um, I wouldn't have to worry about leaving my house and having someone take on a form of aggression just because of the color of my skin. <laughs> like, right. Right. I wouldn't have to worry about that because if it's all political, well, mm-hmm. then great. That's great. That's an easier conversation to have. Yeah. And I think that's what people need to understand is um, that for not and for not all, but a lot of non-white Americans, we just don't see through the same lens. Absolutely. So when you call something political, first of all, particularly if you're a Jesus follower, it is so dismissive of the realities of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I was sharing with a friend of mine last night. I said, look, um, you can't, if you're in this country and you're a Jesus follower and you can't find compassion for a group that at the time is being more marginalized and targeted and that sort of thing, I don't want to hear about your missions program. Right. Don't talk to me about missions because you can't have compassion and empathy for the people over there, mm-hmm. wherever over there is, right? right? Don't tell me about the village in Guatemala that you're serving. If you can't identify with me, I'm your sister, I'm right here in your yeah. country, and you try to dismiss everything I say about my experience in the world. How in the world is your church mm-hmm. and your missions department supposed to tell people about Jesus um, in a vulnerable way you will dismiss them too. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, absolutely. Compartmentalize it all. Well, and the question too is, what kind of witness are we giving when we do that? You know, I mean, okay, we say with our words that we believe in Jesus, that we're following what the Bible says, but if we're not following that up and backing that up with our actions, then we're pretty much hypocrites, aren't we? I mean, we're really not. You know, we're saying one thing and we're really doing the opposite or doing something completely different than that. And it, and it doesn't make sense right? to me. <laughs> Compassion does not need facts. No, absolutely it's, not. I mean, you, don't, you don't need to know why, why something happened to someone that was awful in order to have compassion. Mm-hmm. You just don't. Um, you can look at a situation and hopefully allow your heart to be moved and say, oh my gosh, that's terrible. Right. Without first having to figure out, well, you know, like I said earlier, you know, did this person smoke? Okay, well, what was criminal record? Well, did he, you know, did he uh, do something when he was, you know, 11? Okay, well, you know, like we keep dehumanizing people so that the egregious act mm-hmm. makes sense to us. Right. But that's, that's not an appropriate response. Any human being experiencing grief in the moment. Well, and that's exactly it. I think it's putting yourself in the shoes of that family. You know, that's that's witnessed the murder of their loved one in such a visible way that's getting replay, replayed over and over and over again. I I couldn't imagine that. I mean, just the, the pain and the heartache. And and so, just for me, that right there is one of the biggest things that it, it takes me out of that, yeah, but, you know, it's the, okay, put yourself in the shoes of that family that's having to bury that dad or that mom or the parents having to bury that child and seeing that death replayed over and over again. What kind of pain, what kind of grief are you feeling? Yeah, it, it really comes down to loving your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, even, you know, even in the Bible, the response was, well, who's my neighbor? And they weren't asking because they wanted to know. They were asking because they wanted to do yep. a book about right. it. It's the yeah, but. <laughs> this person. And yep. when Jesus is just like, well, it's everybody. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Okay. So if you're not able to love your neighbor by seeing that, you know, videos of these atrocities that are happening and responding just out of love. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's so tough, and and, it, and that's and that's the thing. I think part of the challenge, I think, about social media in particular, 
is we're trying to have conversations that really don't work because conversations are best done like this face to face person to person obviously yeah we're over zoom but <laughs> the point is because now you can see expressions you can see the person along with hearing them talk and you can clarify on intent where you're not reading into it saying okay this is just it's words that's all right. you're not you're not reading in you know you can read into everything and I think that's the thing that we have gotten so far away from is actually talking to each other. We're talking at each other and not to each other. Yeah. And I, I, I struggle to figure out how we fix that. Um, you know, I mean, I know for me it's, I just have to start with myself. I have to start, you know, finding people and conversing with them and getting off of social media more so that I can actually have these in-person conversations. Well, and every time that you have one of these conversations, Craig, and that's for all of us, mm -hmm. not only are you enriching yourself, but you are, you are starting a new practice and, and you're modeling something yeah. for other people, you know, which is really Absolutely. what needs to happen is a new model, a new practice, a proactive movement towards racial reconciliation. Like, you know, let's not wait anymore for the next awful thing to happen. Like, let's let's not be caught off guard again, particularly right. as the church, because we are behind. Mm -hmm. The church is actually behind oh, yeah. when it comes to uh, racial reconciliation, social justice, uh, multicultural work. We're behind. And mm -hmm. that should make us so angry that we yeah. are behind an unbelieving world and i don't think we're we're mad enough about that not at all we can um tend to, we tend to sit around and wait to see what happens and then adopt the things that work so that we mm -hmm. don't have to fail yeah and that is that is not the way of jesus at oh goodness all. no not at all so i think you know we need to start developing a new practice because you can't legislate heart change like the social justice movement can, you know, the point of that is to make laws and make sure people are safe and that kind of thing. And we need that. Mm -hmm. Like our, our good stuff, like this is why we are the church, right? Because yeah. of transformational nature of who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. if we withhold that or follow a, an unbelieving model of how to do this thing or follow a media model of how to have conversations, then all hope is lost. Yeah. And we should be ashamed of ourselves because we have the answer, but have withheld it to ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, I, I heard a pastor friend of mine preach this brilliant, like seven minute message um, <laughs> the other day. And he's basically saying, you know, I mean, think about it, how Jesus talked about, you know, if you cause these little ones, he said, you know, the translation of that connects to marginalized people, the ones who are weak, the ones who are, yeah. you know, in the moment, if you cause them to stumble, it's like tying a millstone around their neck, throwing them into the lake, and you might as well throw yourself in as well. Like, th that's what Jesus yeah. was trying to say. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what, unfortunately, we're experiencing. Not in all churches, because honestly, there are some churches that mm -hmm. are right where they need to be and out on the front lines and, lo you know, loving people. Yeah. Part yeah. Of this. But a good bit of us, we have a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I could do this all day with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I know you got stuff to do. But um, let, let's let's close with this. What what would you guys want to leave everybody with? Um, one of the things that I've realized as people are just kind of awakening on the white side of things, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it's to not. I've had folks ask me, you know, well, what do I do? I can't. Um, I don't feel like I know enough to talk to like my fellow white brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. And what I've realized is that when it comes to ma 
matters of social justice and matters of just everything that's going on and the change that we need to see in the world, we will never be teachers. We'll never be experts on this. No. We'll perpetually be students. Um, we'll, there will always be more books to read, more movies to watch, more everything to take in, but we will never have, like one of the most difficult things for me is knowing that I will never be able to feel the experience that my wife has. Right. Like that just carries an extra weight that I yeah. will never know. Yeah. And so for that, even if I knew everything, if I'd read every book and studied every possible thing on the subject, I'm still a student. Mm -hmm. I still won't be an expert. And yeah. so just be okay with that because there is still more to learn. And yeah, the more you learn, the more you realize mm -hmm. that you learn. It's one of those situations. Of course. So just to be make peace with that it can feel overwhelming which is why i was talking about like stamina yeah yeah and all of that but mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. be okay with that and lean with it. yeah oh, that's good that's really mm -hmm. good um i would say um gosh i would just say do everything you can to lean into and run towards the things that make you inherently human Mm -hmm. um, my goodness um, you know I, I love the passage in Galatians about the fruit of the spirit mm -hmm. and it's very clear these are the things that are from the fullness of the spirit right yep. and I love the line that oftentimes we don't quote that comes after that and it mm -hmm. says <laughs> against these things there is no law Mm -hmm. which yeah. means that anytime we are pursuing the fruit of the spirit in everything that we do including racial diversity and conversation mm -hmm. that we can be sure that we are pleasing God absolutely mm -hmm. that is a perfect way and a beautiful way to end our conversation thank you guys so much for joining anytime have a great day <laughs> That was absolutely a joy to be able to talk to both of them and get their story, to get their feedback and thoughts on what is going on in the world around us and how we can better love one another. Thanks so much, Nikki and David, for joining me, for the opportunity to uh, talk with you and, and hear your heart and your spirit. So don't forget, go over to harmonymusiceducation.com backslash summer dash camps if you are looking for something for your kids to do or if you know of somebody who's looking for things for their kids to do as well as check out churchmusicmakers.com continue to check out what's on the blog join the Facebook group and participate in the conversation thanks very much for listening and if you enjoy the podcast Subscribe, rate, review, and share it with as many people as you know. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.